Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this sermon series, Black Swan, we are exploring Jesus through the eyes of Mark's gospel. We are going to be looking at the reason why Jesus, who started off as a poor peasant from Nazareth, became one of the most influential figures in the Western world. I hope you enjoy. So I want to begin this morning by asking you all a question. Now this question is going to sound like I'm fishing for compliments, and I am fishing for compliments, but the point of it is a little less to get a compliment and more to make you reassess some of the reasons why you come to this church. So you ready for the question? All right. Nobody said anything. We got a few people. We're not going to do what we did last week, okay? We're going to be with me. Are we ready for the question? Okay, very good. Okay, so the question goes like this. Why are you willing to listen to the words that I say in this sanctuary every single week? And I know that some of you are sitting there thinking, I don't listen to the words that you say every single week. (laughs) But for those of you that do, this is an important question. Because for whatever reason, my words have meaning to you. My words have authority in your life. Now this is important, not because I want you to sit there and say, Oh, Alex, we would never want you to leave. Your words are so important to us. Thank you for being here. It's not like that. It's important because you are willing to give me 22 minutes of your undivided attention. It is undivided, right, every week when I preach? Absolutely. Barbara, after hearing it three times, she can't wait to hear it the third time. (laughs) Undivided. (laughs) So, you do it for a reason. And let me speculate as to what some of those reasons might be. So I would think that for most of you, the reason why you're willing to listen to what I say has to do with the fact that I have that title, Reverend, in front of my name. In the same way that you have people with the letters MD at the end of their name, which allow them to practice what? Medicine. Or JD at the end of their name allows them to practice law. Then you have the letters REV in front of your name. Supposedly that means you're fit to stand in the pulpit and preach. So it's my seminary education and my knowledge of the Bible that tell you, you know what? We're willing to listen to this guy, and he has authority in my eyes. But for some of you, you don't care about my educational pedigree. What you care more about is that I happen to be in your church. This is the place where you formed your bonds and your relationships, right? This is the place where you have spent your time and resources. And so if everybody in here voted me in, then that's good enough for you. You're willing to say, well, you're in my church building, and I will be here long after you're gone, so you know what? I'll listen to you for now. Then you have some people who don't care about my title. They don't care about the building in which I preach, but they care about the content of what I say. If my sermons are meaningful to you, if they speak to your spiritual journey, then you're willing to continue listening. But the moment that stops happening, it's the same moment that you're going to sit there and say, Bye, I'll see you later. Because if I'm not feeding you spiritually, then for you, there's no real point in being here. Now, there's lots of other reasons why you all listen to me, but those are the big three, I would think. Now, why have I brought this up? What's the point? Well, the point is, you don't simply listen to me because I want you to listen to me. I have to earn your respect. I have to earn your hearing of my words. 
And I think what most people don't realize is that this same concept applies to Jesus. He had to earn people's respect. They didn't just listen to him because he wanted them to listen to him. And so what we're dealing with today is how did Jesus earn the respect of the people of Galilee? Now last week, do you remember what we talked about? We talked about Jesus, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he picks up four disciples. Simon, Andrew, James, and John. He gets these four fishermen, and they start walking up the road to this town called Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is very important because that is where Simon's house is located. And Simon's house, most scholars believe, became the home base of Jesus's ministry. They would go out, they would preach, they would do their things, but they would always come back to Peter's house to rest and recharge their batteries. Now, Capernaum is a fishing town, which means that these are full of fishermen, and as we talked about last week, the economic conditions of this area were such that most of these fishermen were now living in poverty. And so these conditions allowed for Jesus to accrue a number of disciples because these people felt like, you know what? I'm willing to go and spend time with you because I believe being with you is more worthwhile than working because they wanted to help him usher in the kingdom. So, Jesus, he goes to Capernaum, and it's the Sabbath. What day is the Sabbath, by the way? Saturday. Saturday. You could be a very good Jew. That's good. That's good. If things don't work out here, the synagogue down the street will always be open to you. Okay, so on Saturday, he goes into the Capernaum synagogue, and he begins teaching. And the scripture tells us that Jesus teaches as one, having authority, and not as the scribes. Now, I've read that for a long time. And I always thought that what that meant was that Jesus was so charismatic that people couldn't help but listen to what he had to say. But that's actually not what this is saying. I mean, that may have been true. He might have been a charismatic guy. But that's not what those words teaching with authority mean. In Jewish culture, when a rabbi would stand up before his congregation to teach, he was always expected to cite former rabbinical interpretation, the ancients who came before him. He was expected to stand there and tell you what these other rabbis said before giving his own interpretation. So, what you would hear is something like this. Well, Rabbi Hillel, he says that we should interpret the scripture this way. But Rabbi Akiva says that we should interpret the scripture that way. I tend to side with Rabbi Akiva, but with this one minor change. And even today, if you were to go to a synagogue, rabbis are expected to know and cite former rabbinical interpretation before giving their own. Now, in order to do that, though, what do you need? You need to be trained in what those other rabbis said, right? You need education in that area. And as we've talked about, Jesus didn't have that training. He was an itinerant preacher. He had no formal education. So Jesus, when he walks into this Capernaum synagogue and he starts teaching, is he citing any former rabbis? No, he's not. He's not citing any former rabbis. He just gets up there and he tells you what he thinks the scripture means. Now, you have to realize that when the people of Capernaum say, Jesus taught as one having authority and not as the scribes, what they mean is, is that Jesus taught these people relying upon his own authority as opposed to the scribes who would sit there and cite former rabbis 
in their opinions. Jesus doesn't really care what those other rabbis had to say because he doesn't know what those other rabbis said. He just tells you what he thinks. And you have to realize this is a very bold thing to do in Jewish culture. You have to realize that for rabbis, the reason why they had to cite these former rabbis, these ancient rabbis, is because these people were some of the most brilliant scholars of the Torah. And to not cite them, you are implying that you are smarter than they are. It would be like this. Let's say I sat you down in a room with a Supreme Court justice, and I asked you to debate the Constitution with that Supreme Court justice. Now, you might be able to provide your interpretation of the Constitution, but your interpretation is not going to be nearly as educated or precise as that of the Supreme Court justice, because they know what? They know all the case law behind the Constitution. They also know how the Constitution would form, and so it will become very apparent very quickly that you didn't really know what you were talking about. And so the person who has more authority in that particular situation is who? The Supreme Court justice, right? Your opinion would simply be ignored. That's not to make you feel bad, but it's just the truth, right? Now, the same thing should have happened in the Capernaum synagogue. Jesus's teachings should have been ignored. The people of Capernaum should have said, you know, Jesus, we really appreciate you trying, but it's obvious you don't have the education to be up here and be a rabbi. But that didn't happen. And the reason why it didn't happen is because when he's in the middle of teaching, he ends up healing a man with an unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit speaks to the whole congregation through this man and says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, Jesus, he has no authority in terms of his teaching with these people. His words hold very little weight because he can't cite former rabbinical interpretation. But Jesus, he turns the tables all of a sudden when he heals this man with the unclean spirit because the unclean spirit says he is the Holy One of God. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter that he didn't cite former rabbis in his interpretation because this unclean spirit tells us that his authority rests on himself because he's the Holy One of God. Jesus is in a whole different category than all these other rabbis. You follow me on this? Mm -hmm. So what Mark is saying is that Jesus' authority not only comes from his teachings, but also his healings. It is the combination of these two things that gives him standing in the community. Had Jesus simply been a teacher and not a healer, or a healer and not a teacher, we would not be sitting in this sanctuary today we would not know the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But he was both. And you have to realize that was a very unique thing at this point in history. I think many of us assume that Jesus was such an amazing healer and that nobody had ever seen anything like that, that that's why people were attracted to him, as if there were no other healers around. But that's not true. During Jesus' day, there were tons of healers out there all kinds of people who called themselves healers. In fact, it was a very lucrative profession to be a healer. But the difference between Jesus and all of his competition is that Jesus didn't charge money for his healings. It seems the only compensation that Jesus required was that you listen to his teachings. Now, all the other great teachers in Israel, 
they were listened to because of their education, which is not unlike what we do today. Why do you listen to me? Mostly because of my education. But Jesus, a man of no education, is able to buck this trend because he uses his healings as leverage to entice people to listen to his teachings. That's really important. I want to say that again. Listen to me on this. He uses his healings as leverage to entice people to listen to his teachings. Because you have to think about it. You're a person, you go in there, you go and get healed by Jesus, right? So you figure, if this guy can heal me for free, then whatever gives him the power to heal probably also gives him the authority to teach, and therefore, he's probably worth listening to. And so this raises a really important question in my mind, which is, if the people of Capernaum were willing to listen to Jesus because of his healings, why are you willing to listen to Jesus? I mean, he's not here right now, healing people left and right. Nobody in here has ever met Jesus. Have you? Has anybody in here ever met Jesus? If you have, we need to talk, because I'd like to know what he's like. No, you haven't. So what gives Jesus authority in your life? Now, as Presbyterians, this is a really challenging question to answer. Because when you've grown up in the church, the answer is usually something like this. Well, I've been told my whole life that Jesus' teachings should have authority, and therefore, they do. But I know many of you in here doubt. I know many of you in here question. I mean, we read about three specific miracles that happened today. We read about the healing of the man with the unclean spirit. What was the second one? Do you remember? Simon's mother-in-law from her fever. And then the third was who? The leper. So those three. Now, I know that some of you in here question whether or not those things actually happened. Because think about it, during Jesus' day, they didn't know about bacteria, viruses, and cancer. For them, these things had a certain magical quality to them, and they were often attributed to unclean spirits and demons. Today, when you go to a doctor, does the doctor pray over you and remove a demon? No. What does he do? He performs a battery of tests and then prescribes you some medication. And it is this inconsistency between the magical quality of the biblical healings and the scientific precision of modern medicine that makes most people question the validity of the Bible. Because it's a pretty slippery slope, right? If you're going to question the healings, then what's to prevent you from questioning the teachings? Because if you begin questioning and doubting the miracles, then what's to prevent you from doubting Jesus' words? And this is why many people, they cling to this very literal reading of the Bible. Do you know what I mean when I say literal? Like word for word, what it says is what happened. And they are unwilling to compromise in any way about its integrity. From their perspective, what you read is exactly what happened, even if it makes no sense in our modern context. And so most people, the way they look at it is there's two choices. One choice is you just abandon Christianity entirely because who needs it? It doesn't make sense in our modern world. Or the other side is that you have to adopt the biblical reality as your reality. And I don't think either of those are very good answers, to be perfectly honest. I think there's a middle road, and that's why we had the magician come in today. So Wayne, the first trick that he did, what did he do? He came up, he performed the trick, and then he showed you how it was done, right? 
And then he comes in and he performs some other tricks, but he doesn't tell you how he did those, right? Now, we asked him to do this for a very specific purpose. We wanted to prove a point. Magic is only magic as long as it's a mystery. When you know how the trick is done, well, all of a sudden, the trick becomes common, ordinary, and uninteresting. We lose interest and move on because if we have all the answers, then why waste our time? And unfortunately, I think this is how a lot of people approach Jesus. They look at Jesus and they believe that if you could explain how Jesus performed his miracles, then all of a sudden there's no point in believing in Jesus. Because if you get rid of the mystery, then Jesus is common, generic, and uninteresting. But I have to say I disagree with this. I don't think it's an either or. I don't think it's either it's a mystery and you believe it, or it's explainable and you leave it all behind. And let me ask you a question to prove what I mean. If you knew how Jesus healed, if I could explain to you exactly how he did it, would that change the way that you think about Jesus? No, for you? Okay, because the answer for me is no. I can tell you that. Because I'll tell you right now, I actually really do believe Jesus was a healer. I believe that he made these people better. In other words, what I'm saying is, I don't think that the only way that a person can be healed from illnesses and disease is through medicine. Medicine is a very good way and a very precise way to do it, but that's not the only way. On the other hand, I don't chalk up Jesus' healings to mystery. I think there's a very reasonable and logical explanation for how he was able to do the things that he did. In fact, the Gospels tell us exactly how he was able to do it. Now, we're not going to talk about that today, because that's not the point of the sermons. We're going to bring that up in future sermons, and I'm not going to tell you which one, because I want you to come back <laughs> to hear what I have to say, and you never know which one it's going to be. Today, the point is to ask you, why does Jesus have authority in your life? Why are you willing to give Jesus that respect? And maybe you're not. Maybe the answer to, your question, to this question is, actually, Jesus doesn't have authority in my life. And if you'd be willing to, I would really appreciate it if you would send me a little email with a few sentences about why Jesus either does or does not have authority in your life. You don't have to give me a big, book-long answer about it. Just quickly, why? Explain it to me. And I want to end this morning telling you why Jesus has authority in my life. Jesus has authority in my life not because of the mystery of his healings or because of the profound nature of his teachings, but because I actually believe what that unclean spirit said at the Capernaum Synagogue. I believe Jesus is the Holy One of God. And so what that means for me is that I believe Jesus is the example of what God wants us to be. And that's why Jesus has my respect and has authority in my life. Fifteen years ago is when I became a Christian. And I can tell you that where I am today is in a much better place than where I was 15 years ago. God has changed my heart in dramatic ways, and it is because I allowed Jesus to have that authority in my life. If you knew me when I was 20, you'd be like, yeah, you've changed a lot, thankfully. <laughs> and it's been for the good. And I think that everybody in here can relate to that. I mean, everybody in here should have a place where they want to be, something that they're striving to become like as a person. If you don't, then I think you need to ask yourself, why? Have you achieved it? Are you where you think you need to be? 
as a human being? And for me, the answer is always no. You can always do better. And for me, the answer to becoming better is allowing Jesus to have authority in my life so that God can help me become more like him. And so I want to throw that out there to you. I hope and pray that Jesus might have authority in your life. I hope that he might help you to become the kind of person that God intends you to be. Because no matter how many doubts you might have about Jesus and the Bible and all the miracles, I get that because I'm right there with you. No matter how many doubts you might have, I can tell you right now that the experience I've had in my life of being changed from the person who I was to the person who I am, that's tangible. And I believe that it can happen to you too. And that's my prayer for you today, that it might. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.